Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People gift card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem at any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. As the adults chatted over tea, Rosa kept leaning forward to gingerly stroke the cloth. She and her father were lost in their own language, and Hannah wondered why Rosa hadn't taught her native tongue to her own child. When they were alone, Rosa only spoke English, well, except for the staccato words she hissed when she stubbed her toe or forgot the pasta sauce on the stovetop. Their voices were rising, and Rosa was tugging at the curl that always escaped from her ponytail. Whatever they were saying, Hannah knew that her mother was getting cross. Eager to stay out of Rosa's line of sight, Hannah craned her neck over Nico's suitcase. She saw a rectangular package on top of Adidas things, hoping for a second box of chocolates, perhaps with soft centres she'd had at her best friend's Tabitha's house. She stood to get a better look. The package was wrapped in a flower sack. Hannah put down her tea, careful not to spill a drop, and went to lift the parcel out of the bag. Nico took hold of her arm. Stati, this is not for your little eyes, my dragger. His smile was sad. His voice had cracked and his scarred hands looked like claws around her skinny arm. But Papa, what could it be? said Rosa, sounding concerned. Something had shifted in him. He looked almost crumpled, his eyes welling with tears. Rosa froze. Papa? Quietly counting to ten, like she did every time her mother was about to shout at her. Nico's shoulders slumped and shuddered as he fired words at his daughter. Hannah hadn't expected this from Hadida. She'd never heard him raise his voice before. As he finished talking, he spat a word so emphatically that Rosa repeated it, bringing her hands to her cheeks in distress. Mauthausen. Kirsty Manning is the author of five novels, including The Midsummer Garden, The Lost Jewels and The Paris Mystery. Today, I'm talking to Kirsty Manning about her latest novel, The Hidden Book. Kirsty Manning, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Mauthausen Concentration Camp, Austria, May 1945. What were the conditions like in that infamous concentration camp? And what was Mauthausen's place in the Third Reich's final solution? It was actually pretty crucial because uh, it, it, was, it has been known. I mean, there hasn't been a lot written about it in, I guess, contemporary literature, but it was one of the worst concentration camps. It seems there was a lot of experimentation happening there. And also the soldiers were, as we know, everywhere, universally, could be quite cruel. But the prisoners were used as slave labour to build the factories and the buildings and the machinery that fed the Nazi regime. And so um, they spent a lot of time working in quarries in very difficult conditions. I think there's... um, a stairway with 175 steps that the prisoners had to walk to and back every day. And then they had to literally carry slabs of granite up these steps every day. And it was backbreaking work, as you can imagine. They were there in the heat of summer and the freezing winter, and it was known as um, the stairwell of death. So it was very difficult. It was where a lot of the Spanish prisoners went. So um, a lot of people... Uh, who were arrested under the Spanish 
regime as became then and then there were the Jewish people from the northern countries as well so it was a melting pot of prisoners they all learned each other's stories and um, appreciated each other's differences and I think that gave them a lot of strength if you like to keep keep going and to have hope against this regime I mean I'm not going to pretend for an instant that it was by any means people were uh, optimistic or happy in there it was it was dark cruel horrible conditions that were malnourished and I think we're all kind of familiar with the stories of concentration camps but this one was a very um, diverse ethnically um, and it was a place where from time to time they would bring in a lot of comfort women as well so um, for the soldiers that were posted to Austria and um, so I think it was um, a place where people really supported each other within the camp, despite their various nationalities and languages. And within that camp and within this story, we are introduced to a Spanish inmate, Mateo Baca. He's been ordered to produce five copies of a presentation book of photographs documenting everything that happens there. It's a bizarre circumstance, but what is the purpose of that book? Oh, it's actually horrific and it's based on a true story. One of the top SS generals ordered that five photographic albums be made as a commemorative edition, I guess, for the top um, SS generals. So they could each have a copy of the experiments and the conditions and the, and the prisoners, as well as the soldiers. They were also photographed inspecting the camp, the photographer, and the people working in the photographic lab decided to make a sixth one and they smuggled it out with the help of a local villager. They hid that book. They ended up hiding, I think, 20,000 photographs and negatives from that were taken over the years from the prisoner because, of course, every prisoner had to be photographed on the way in. The, um, the Nazis documented everything. And, of course, they destroyed a lot of everything as the Allies advanced. But... Um, I think it is just the most extraordinary show of strength and optimism and that somewhere amongst all these horrors, there would be an opportunity to tell their story, to show their pictures. Many years later, when they had the Nuremberg trials, it's a true story. These Many of these photographs were used to convict the top um, Nazi soldiers and generals. So photographs of Mauthausen became, in a sense, a testimonial to the crimes that were committed and living proof that, um, that it actually happened. It wasn't um, a case of their voice against others. It was, it was a, a documentary over many years and they could show this is what they did to us. So the photographer... Matteo gathers around him a clandestine circle of people, including Nico and Santiago, both inmates of the camp, and Lena, who is a resident of the town, who is facing her own challenges. And as you said, the book remains hidden. But how did this secret circle come to place so much trust in each other? I've written a couple of books now, The French Gift and also The Jade Lily, where I've researched um, various pockets of World War II and read a lot of memoir. I listened to a lot of the Jewish museums and Holocaust museums now, and especially the one in Mauthausen. They have online a series of um, recorded interviews of former inmates telling their stories and um, 
I guess what has become apparent to me as I've listened to some people's stories is people's hope in humanity and their belief in the goodness of people is not eradicated. There's kind of a small thread. There's a will to kind of self-preserve and to preserve those around you. But there's also, I think, when things are dire and they're down to the wire and you've got no one to trust, I think you make assessments of people very quickly. And, you know, sometimes you get it wrong um, and you place your trust in the wrong people. But often I find, like, the more I research this, people... People do trust each other and people, the photographs of Mauthausen are, a, uh, I guess, a, a living documentary of the horror that people can be, but it's also a documentary of the wonder of humanity because um, that they worked together to salvage it, that they believed that there would be an end to this, that there could be another way of living and that life would resume and freedom would come eventually and you have to make those decisions quickly and then really your life depends on it I think it's quite extraordinary the story within the hidden book jumps forward in time from 1945 to the 21st century we meet Hannah Campbell Hannah Campbell is a young woman out of place in the town that she lives in on the Liverpool Plains and she is the third generation of a survivor of that camp, but she wants to get out of that town. Is the hidden book her passport out of there? Hear people talk about those moments that propel you um, out of one section of your life into another. And I always wanted to write a coming of age tale. And I guess when Hannah, um, you heard in the reading, discovers this book, she tears away later and sneaks in and has a look at it. And of course, as a young child, she doesn't know what to make of these images. They're so horrific. And I guess through the generations nobody's really known what to do with this photographic book which is why it's still wrapped up in a piece of calico because it's horrific they open it they close it they know they shouldn't throw it away but they're not quite sure what to do with it because it's not like you can have it on the coffee table but it is the story of many people's lives it had a patch and a prison number in the front she kind of had questions about what this book meant who her grandfather was why her mother left her own country what does that mean and that kind of those questions of generational trauma I mean whether it's World War II or Indigenous history or the story of immigration from China to Australia I think um I think it's very difficult to look at yourself in isolation to the family members and the people who've come before you. I think um, I'm always examining that in my own life and in, I guess, in my stories as well. And this book, it gives Hannah a hook, a question, like, who was my grandpa? And if I don't know who he is, how do I know who I am? And then, of course, we're seeing her in this coming-of-age tale and at school, at university, she wants to study history and she goes and deliberately studies World War II history and becomes somewhat of an expert in the areas, um, takes honours in it. Um, but, of course, her own family won't open up about their story. They won't reveal the book to her. So she's studying this big history on one hand, but her family has closed her own history to her. So there's this push-pull that kind of 
propels her through the novel and through her life. Like, who am I? What does this book mean? What does Mauthausen mean? She actually goes off to see Mauthausen at some point and she has to go off travelling to discover who she was at home, which I think many Australians do. It's a question mark in the back of her head that kind of propels and informs how she charts her life. Rosa is the inheritor of this book. Nico is the one who brings it back to Australia. But she inherits also this, as you've alluded to, the emotional pain and the distress that it carries with it. Rosa forbids Hannah to even touch the book in the first instance. Who is she protecting, herself or Hannah? Look, I think a bit of both. Rosa has lost a lot. She's lost her father. She's a widower. She's been a single mum raising a child. She's been through a lot over the years. I don't think she is hiding the book from a selfish perspective. I think she's doing it because she honestly believes that Hannah will be better off without it, that she is a a fresh slate, if you like. She is a girl born in Australia on the Liverpool Plains. What does she need to know of Mauthausen? Rosa grew up with her father's dark dreams and the shadow of war hanging over her life, but here she is in a new country Her child can be sunny and optimistic and there needs to be no talk of that. Why can't she just start a fresh light and be happy and joyous? And so I think there is that kernel of protectiveness that every mother has, but her daughter is angry about it. And it causes a schism because there's questions of expectations in there. Hannah's own expectations when she goes to university. I mean, it's that real coming of age. You see her growing up and we see her with her friends as well who choose careers and paths. And I think, you know, as women, I really wanted to write the coming of age story of a woman in Australia who is navigating university and then has to navigate relationships and then her own shot at motherhood and how she negotiates that path of work and motherhood and maintaining her sense of self and how through all of these iterations, her identity doesn't change, but it certainly evolves. And how do you get back to yourself? And I guess her touchstone was that book, like in going back to find the book, she was going back to find that kernel of herself. The story spans some 75 years from 1944 to 2019. And this gives rise to different perspectives on that moment in history. Rosa wants to forget, but Hannah wants to find out, as we said. Uh, She wants to discover the history and particularly that of her family. Hannah says the whole of Malthausen, inside and outside the camp, needed to be treated with reverence and remembrance. The question of how to present and tell stories of the past, that sounds like a question that the author is asking herself. I know. I'm always asking this when I write history because, as you know, and as my readers will know, I base it on pockets of real history, but I don't want to lean into any one person's single story. The challenge has been also on a broader scale for museums. I mean, I worked with the Sydney Jewish Museum. They read this book for me um, very kindly, just because I was very careful that I didn't want to misrepresent or put any false facts in there. So they were very helpful and kind to, to do that. So there's that question of getting the, you know, the nuts and bolts of history, dates, places, those things, that's respectful and that's how you should honour history. But then how to represent history. We've got fiction. Like I can't 
I am fictionalizing hopes and aspirations of people who don't exist. Museums are constantly redefining and questioning on how to best present history and they bring it in line with modern philosophies and thoughts. But I guess the overarching theme is always the lessons that we can learn from history, what people are prepared to do for families or their country or their shifting borders and where their loyalties lie. And they shine that light on them overlaid with modern thinking. And I think questions of migration and colonialism and race are all brought into play and, you know, misogyny, sexism, all of these things that we can re-examine history through contemporary light. I don't think the role of a fiction writer is to answer those questions, but certainly as a writer, we have to flag them and raise them. And I'm always questioning those things myself. How is the best way to portray this? And in Hannah's love of history, she's really echoing my desire to find a way to tell the story. And as it turns out, there's not one way. There's many ways and many voices. It's a path we're still learning. One of the challenges to a, an author of historical fiction, the author has to choose between bringing real people to life and inventing new ones. What do you consider in making that decision? Where's the tipping point between the real and the imaginary? Um, for me, the real people that I have are only fleeting that go through. So in the Jade Lily, they would be like a passing politician or real-time people that came to Shanghai or perhaps an aid worker. In The French Gift, that was very much based on Agnès Humbert. She was the person who wrote the memoir that um, in a prison in the rayon factories who retold hers in a memoir. I didn't want to have Agnès as a real person on the page, even though we had her memoir because her story was not an exact replica of what I was creating. And I, I, I don't like giving fictional emotions to real people who existed. So in um, the hidden book, there was a real Spanish photographer. He actually testified at the Nuremberg trials, but I can't really know what he was thinking and feeling day to day in Mauthausen concentration camp. Obviously I've fictionalized that character. There was a real woman in Austria. Again, I didn't want to lean into her personal story. So I have the story of Lena who is younger, who has a sister, because, of course, I'm asking a question how she treads that line in a Nazi regime where Austria is now Germany. What causes her to move from a person who keeps her head down trying to survive and with her family to someone who takes real action? And so I can't know. She hasn't gone on record to say what made her do that, and I think people don't get specific because obviously they don't know sometimes it's just a feeling but um, there are emotions that I attribute to them cobbled on testimonies of 10 20 people I kind of look at all of their rationale and then I put it together in an imagined one person and one person's voice whereas you know I'm reading 20 30 people's stories and kind of bower birding from all of them Kirsty Manning, it's been great to talk to you and thanks so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. It's been lovely to be here again and thanks to everyone for having me. I've been talking to Kirsty Manning about her latest novel, The Hidden Book. It's published by Alan and Unwin and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. 
This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.